Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we have the honor of talking to a stand-up comedy legend, Rita Rudner. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, you guys. I can't believe we were able to talk to this woman. Before becoming the top female comedian in Las Vegas, headlining at the Venetian, New York, New York, and the MGM Grand, Rita became a star in the 80s as a regular guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. She also acted in several Broadway plays and TV shows, including her telling us a really good story about the time she made a cameo appearance on the show, Tales from the Crypt. She also <laughs> had so many stories about the people she's worked with. At the end, we literally just threw out names, and she had a story for each of them. That's true. We talked about Betty White, Bob Hope, Mary Tyler Moore, Steve Martin. You guys, we are so honored to speak with this woman and can't wait for you to hear this conversation with the amazing Rita Rudner. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. Steph? I'm freaking out. This is going to be so much fun. I am freaking out that this woman is talking to us. We've been looking forward to this conversation. Well, friends, our next guest is a comedy legend. Among her many accomplishments, she's a New York Times bestselling author, an award-winning television personality, screenwriter, actress, and former Broadway dancer. You may have seen her headlining in Vegas or from one of her many appearances on The Tonight Show. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Rita Rudner. Welcome, Rita! Hello, I'm happy to be here. You look like very happy people and let's all be happy. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for saying yes to us. So we've known about you, right? From your comedy shows, from your TV specials. But Rita, honestly, I didn't know how big of a deal you were until I was researching you. So you have an IMDb page. You have a Wikipedia page. And I don't know if you realize this. You have an encyclopedia page as well. Did you know that? <laughs> No. You, have, you literally have your own page. If you go to encyclopedia.com, you have your own page in there. And it felt like I was doing a book report on you when I was <laughs> researching this conversation. <laughs> I don't that, even know what an encyclopedia page is. What is that? Did you remember the books, the encyclopedias? Oh, yeah. You, were, you are in that. Oh, okay. So when you look at like the online version, you're in that encyclopedia. Okay, well, I'm so challenged with social media or anything like that, that I just stay away. Because if they say something good, I'm glad. And if they say something bad, I don't want to know. Fair. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Okay. okay, so with friends, and you being a, a comedian, mm -hmm. do people expect you to be funny all the time when you're not performing? Or how does that work when you do this for a living? You know, um, I can tell you a good story about that. Oh, please. This story is a story that isn't it because, you know, I have a, a new book about it's yes. a memoir and it's called My Life in Dog Years. And I don't think the story made it into the book. So this is an exclusive. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it right there. <laughs> an exclusive story just just for your liking or not liking. So Martin and I, Martin is a producer, my husband, Martin Bergman. We wrote a lot of movies and then we, we got approached to write a musical. 
And it wasn't the musical that was on Broadway. It was before that. And we had a really good director and we all flew to New York and we had this um, thing and Jerry Goffin came and I talked to him at the beginning of the show and uh, I said, hello, nice to meet you. I'm so honored to be here. And, you know, thank you for giving us this opportunity, all this stuff. And then I heard him say to somebody else, I just said hello to Rita Rudner. I talked to her. She's not funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I was just saying hello. I didn't know I was supposed to be amusing. I was saying nice to meet you. So anyway, so yes, people do expect me to be um, funny, but not not many people recognize me if I don't have a big dress and a microphone and a lot of makeup on, you know. So until they hear my voice, then they kind of say, oh, I've heard oh. you know, are you uh, an old teacher I used to have in high school? So, yeah, but they quickly find out that I'm only funny from 8 to 930. My <laughs> husband is funny from the moment he wakes up. The moment he goes to sleep, he's like naturally funny. But if you told him to be funny from eight to nine thirty at night, it, it would be too much pressure. He's just naturally really funny. being a comedian for me is a different thing, and I enjoy it. But I enjoy being funny at a certain time at night oh, when people are looking at me and expecting something and laughing. I'm Robin Williams. He was funny all the time too. Even Rodney Dangerfield, I'd say hello and he'd be funny, but I'm just not like that. I'm just normal. I mean, not that they're not normal, but you know what I mean? What made you go from like Broadway dancer to comedian? I noticed there weren't too many female comedians and there were too many dancers. (laughs) Too many female dancers, not enough female comedians. So I thought there might be an opening there. And I only knew of two female comedians, which were Joan Rivers and Phyllis Diller at the time, who I later became friends with, and I admire them tremendously. But I was going, I said, why can't I be a different style comedian? Because I'm quiet, and they're very out there and aggressive. So I started studying Woody Allen and Jack Benny, who were two introverted people who I could identify with more. And I said, let's try to do comedy a different way, where you don't have to be aggressive. You can be quiet. So I guess I was the first quiet female comedian because <laughs> I that, I did it differently. Is it true, like the smaller comedy clubs when you started, that you had to have a man with you and you couldn't like headline a show by yourself? Well, the comedy clubs, you were allowed maybe one woman a night, but then a woman couldn't follow another woman because we were an oddity. But when I got my first show in Las Vegas, I was playing The Sands and the owner of the Sands said, uh, I, I, she needs to be paired with a man. I just can't have a female headliner who's a comedian. So, yes, he paired me with his name, is Sheldon Adelson, who was a very big casino owner and at the time in uh, Las Vegas. And he paired me with a very funny comedian called Jeff Altman. And I got paired with really funny men for a very long time. Um, it was me and Louis Anderson. It was me, Jeff Altman, me and Dennis Miller, me and Brad Garrett. You know, I, I did a wow. lot of twosomes until I was finally able to, because not only was I a female comedian, I was quiet. And headliners are usually high energy. <laughs> so, yes, I always went rung by rung by rung by rung. I never skipped a rung. So you talked about, a lot of people don't recognize you on the street unless you have a dress on, right? And makeup so, and a microphone. And, <laughs> right. Have you had any weird interactions then with fans who think they know you personally or just, just weird interactions because of being such a high-profile person? I have the nicest fans. I have to tell you, I've never had 
anybody who wasn't respectful, who didn't no, I just I I think I attract nice people who want to behave. And I said they always come looking like they've had a, a good breakfast and they're sober. <laughs> and even when I performed in Vegas, I think people kind of get dressed up when they come to see my show because they know I'm going to be dressed up. Because let's face it, the dressing in Las Vegas isn't exactly high end when they come in from the pool with the flip flops and the shorts. <laughs> All right. And so I always found people who like me are really nice. And I think that's a compliment. All right, Steph, let's go to fun facts. Love fun facts. Okay, so Rita, I typically give a list of fun facts for our guests. So listeners know what you've done, what you've accomplished. And Steph's not aware of any of these. Ooh. With you, I had to cut these down because of so many things you've been involved with. So Steph, are you ready for this? I'm excited. Fun fact number one. Mm-hmm. At the age of 15, Rita graduated early from high school and moved to New York City by herself. <gasps> To become a dancer on Broadway. What? 100% true. Okay, so can you tell us that story? It's not a great story, but my mother was very sick when I was growing up. She passed away when I was 13. My father married a woman who didn't like me. And I was already steeped in dancing. I started ballet when I was four. I was in a ballet company, 10, 11, and 12, 13. I was already doing Swan Lake and all the Coppelia, all the ballets. And um, I started school early because my father needed to get me out of the house. He had was not really practical. And he and my mother was kind of his assistant before she got sick. And I don't know. So anyway, I was in first grade before I, before I was five. And I did 11th and 12th grades together and some courses just to move to New York to be, I wanted to be on Broadway. I think that because my situation was so unusual that my uh, desire line was absurdly strong in what I wanted to do. Like my, I have a daughter who's 20 now. And she, if she said, mom, I'm going to leave home and live by myself in New York City, I would say, you know, absolutely not. I'm locking the door until you're 22. But um, really, I had no guidance. And I just kind of guided myself. And I was, I got my first job when I was 16. I was lived in New York for four months before I got my first national tour of Zorba, which starred Cheetah Rivera and John Raid. Am I doing your fun facts now? That's okay. Keep going. Yes, Yes, you are, but keep going. Okay. So I did a years long tour. I was 16 in Zorba. And then I, when I was 17, I got into Promises, Promises, 18, I was in Follies. And then I I did 10 years on Broadway and six different shows. And in the middle, lots of commercials and industrial shows and um, summer stock. So I was really, really, you know, doing well in what I was doing. And when I decided not to do it anymore, I was doing the best that I had ever done. (laughs) I had a part on Broadway in Annie and I was Lily St. Regis. And I said, I just don't think I want to do this anymore. I was 27. So I was kind of old when I started comedy because when I got to the comedy clubs, I was 28 and looking at all these people like Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David and Billy Crystal and Robin Williams, you know, they had been doing comedy long, long before. They just did it, you know, when they were teenagers and I had just started when I was 27. So I kind of did everything a bit late, but I was a late everything. I didn't marry till I was 35. You know, I didn't talk till I was 27. I just did everything late. (laughs) That's really when I decided to talk. (laughs) So fun fact number two, it took Rita two years 
to get five minutes of comedy material. And then she got on The Letterman Show and then later was booked in January 1988 on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Oh, okay. 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 Two okay. years. Like when you got the phone call, was it your agent that got you on Carson? Did did they just call you up? <laughs> Excuse me. I'm laughing. <laughs> no. Um, I, I auditioned for five years to get on The Tonight Show, actually. I wasn't on The Tonight Show till the 90s. I was on Letterman early on, and I did lots of... When did you say I got on Carson? Because I don't think that was true. January 1988? No. Really? Okay. Thank you for correcting so. me Well, there. maybe. I don't know. I'm so bad with years. All I know is maybe... When was I on Carson? I mean, on Letterman? That was like in 82. Yeah, then that's right. That is okay. right. I get the years mixed up. But okay. that, And I auditioned for a good five years before I got on the uh, Carson show because it's it's a big story in my book, too, about the man who didn't like me, who was the comedy booker. His name was Jim McCauley, and he just took an instant dislike to me. I don't know why. And every time I would get on stage at the improv, because that's where he would go to find new comedians, he would walk out of the room. And oh, finally... No. There was uh, Bud Friedman, who passed away recently, had this, her name was Alex Friedman. He married this wonderful woman, and they were always so supportive at the comedy club. And Alex Friedman said, one day I got on stage, and Jim McCauley was getting up to walk off, and Alex said, sit down, she's funny, stop it. (laughs) Good for her. Alex Friedman actually got me on The Tonight Show. I had a really good set, and after a few other um, inconveniences, let's say, I finally got on The Tonight Show. Johnny really, really liked me. And then I was on all the time. Wow. But I had given up. I said, I'll never get on The Tonight Show. And you know what? It's okay. I'm on a lot of other shows. Sometimes you just have to say, okay, it'll either happen or it won't happen. And finally, after years, it happened. Steph, what's most important to you when it comes to building a new home? Okay. I want a builder who's an expert in what they do. It's going to be honest with me and cares about even the smallest of details. Well, thankfully, we know just the builder. You know it. It's Jay and Connie Luby with Luby Companies. Friends, don't just take our word for it. Go check out their website at lubycompanies.com. That's L-U-E-B-B-E companies.com. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. All right, Steph. Next fun fact. Like she said, after becoming a regular on TV shows such as Letterman, Carson, and Leno, Rita sold out Carnegie Hall multiple times, mm. toured extensively, created an award-winning TV show called Ask Rita, and did several comedy specials, including, in 2008, PBS's first ever stand-up comedy special called Rita Rudner, Live from Vegas. Wow. So when you're doing the first ever special on a network... On PBS. How, on PBS, Yes. How does that feel in regards to how do you handle the pressure? Do you still get nervous at that point to go on stage or how does that work? Yeah, I'm always nervous because if you're not nervous, something's wrong, but I'm not nervous to the point of being incapacitated. And I I always have to like sing to myself and I have things I say to myself, which I mentioned in the book too, that make me calmer and more focused about what I'm about to do. Well, I decided, Martin actually decided, why don't I do something on PBS? Because the whole point of cable was you people could swear. And I don't swear. In my real life, you know, I can have a few four-letter words, but in <laughs> my show, it's not really something that I want to do. Right. 
So we did a PBS special. We sold it. it I didn't understand. PBS is separate entities all over the country. So oh. it's not one big conglomerate. And each, not even each state, each city, each district, they have their own little uh, PBS signals. So I went and I had to call all around the country and say, would you please look at my, nothing is easy. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> nothing is easy. And I had to say, could you please watch my, hi, Sarita Redner here. Could you please watch a special that we recorded? And and I finally got in enough markets where it did very well for them. But it really wasn't a walk in the park. Oh, even for Rita Rudner, isn't that amazing? Oh, especially for Rita Rudner. Rita That's crazy. was the only one who had the perseverance to keep doing to it keep with going. PBS to make yeah. the first ever. That's good. Perseverance is much more important than talent. Mm. That's good. Steph, are you ready for this? Rita was an actress in the American horror TV series called Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> so, what was that like, Rita, when you're getting the script and you're like, Am I going to do what? Like, what did you do in that TV series? I always think it's better to say yes than to say no, which is a good thing that's advice I give in my book as well. Because when you say no, I learned it when I started taking improv classes to try to loosen up and be more agile on stage where I could ad lib because it's always a problem for me. I go in with a very scripted sense of what I want to do. And to deviate is kind of a challenge for my little brain. So... When something comes out of the blue that I think might be a challenge, that might be fun, that I might be scared of doing, I say yes. And they, they at this point, some just called me up and said, do you want to do a, an episode? And I read the episode and I get killed in an elevator. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, this is interesting. I want to wonder how they do that because I don't know anything. And they loaded me up with all these things that explode on me. And then the bang started. And it was a little bit horrifying, but it was just interesting. I could do something I had never done before. In fact, I just got a call about, I guess it was a month ago now, to do a part on Magnum P.I., which films in Honolulu. Yes. And it's really scary because that's not something I do all the time. I do plays, stage shows, and I don't do a lot of acting. I've done some movies, but you know, it's not what my everyday meal. And I said yes, and it was really fun. And I flew to Honolulu, and NBC has picked up Magnum PI after CBS dropped it, and it, they're having a big reboot in February. So I think my episode will be the third episode when it starts on NBC. And in a, I guess coincidentally. I play a woman who's obsessed with her dog, and I've written a book called My Life in Dog Years. So that's why they thought of me. They heard of the book, and they said, well, let's get Rita and see what she could do. And it was really fun, and the people were nice. And I I felt proud of myself because it was very – I mean, the call time was 5.45 a.m. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. 5 a.m., and, and, and I'm, I'm in makeup at 6 o'clock, and I'm just – and you've got – I mean, it's a hard schedule. You, I was there till 8 o'clock at night, and these people, they get up the next day, and they do it again. It's really – I was so happy that I do stand-up because I get up <laughs> when I want to get up. I have coffee. I do my day, and at 7 o'clock – that's why I did Vegas for so long because I could raise – Martin and I could raise our daughter. I could have a marriage. And I went to work at seven o'clock and I was home by 10. So in that situation with Magnum P.I., do they give you a script? They're like, you know, ad lib if you want to. Or oh, no ad libbing. No, 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 no. Really? Stick to it. I asked when I got, had ideas, I asked the director and the director would call the writer. Okay. And they would either approve my idea or not approve my idea. 
So I always have ideas, but you know, you can't throw a line at another actor when they're not expecting it. They won't know when to say their line. So yeah. oh, that's a good point. It's not when you're doing an improv show on stage, it's okay, but not when you're doing a television show. You can't because everybody's reaction, they film you and then they film her separately and they have to match and you know, no. All right, Steph, I'm going to test you again here. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, it's the Bible, Kevin. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. Very good. This time, you didn't say the book we wrote called You Met Her Where. But it's still a really good book. That is true. And it would make a great gift for friends or relatives on their birthday or for Christmas. Friends, you can order your copy of our book titled You Met Her Where at KevinAndSteph.com. And we will make sure to personally sign a copy for you or whoever you want. And as always, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Next fun fact here. Rita has written multiple times for the Oscars award show. <gasps> In 2001 through 2003, Rita helped write the opening monologues for Steve Martin and Whoopi Goldberg when they hosted the Oscars. So how does that work, Rita? Does Steve Martin just call you up and say, hey, can you write me some jokes for... That's what happened. Really? Yeah. Really? We had a mutual friend who was a director called Jonathan Lynn. And I think Steve Martin must have asked Jonathan Lynn for my phone number. And I answered the phone one day and he said, Steve Martin here. And first he said, will you meet me for breakfast? Because I'd like, I'm doing the Oscars and I really like your style of humor. And will you meet me at this place for breakfast? And, well, that was scary. (laughs) Yes, yes, I will. And we talked and then he said, will you be one of the writers on the Oscars for me? And I said, well... I've never written for anybody else. I've only written for myself. I don't know how to do it. And he said, well, pretend you're writing for yourself and then just give me the joke. What's the problem? So I said, oh, well, okay. And it was so much fun. He is one of my all-time favorite people. And he is so talented. He can do so many things. And once he's, again, he can improv, but he's also scripted. And that's where I aim to be. And we would meet, I guess, about six months before he did the Oscars. I would meet with three other writers, with four other writers, Bruce Valance, John Max, Dave Boone, me. And we would meet for a couple of hours and give him our ideas and toss things around. We'd laugh hysterically. He had a chef and the chef would make us lunch. And when we would go home and then we would fax him things. And as it got closer to the Oscars, we met more and more and more. And I got a few jokes in his monologue, which was... uh, it was scary because what if nobody laughs and it's my fault? You know, I understand if I let myself down, but I don't uh, want right. other people down. And um, it worked really, really well. And then he asked me to do the Oscars again the next year. And I did that again. And then Whoopi Goldberg asked me the next year. So it was a fun experience and it was a learning experience. But it's really stressful for me to write jokes for other people because I'm afraid that they won't work and then I'll have done something bad to them. So I'd rather... <sighs> You know, it's like I like playing singles in tennis. I don't want to let anybody down. (laughs) Well, that was my question for you, Miss Rita. Like, are you more nervous to go to Carnegie Hall and do a show or sit at home with Martin and watch Steve Martin do part of your monologue? Or be there in person, yeah. Yes. Oh, definitely watching somebody else do something I wrote would be excruciating. No. I love doing Carnegie Hall because everybody bought tickets to see me and they it was Mm. it was a an exceptional time and Carnegie Hall is such an exceptional place that Joan Rivers told me, make sure you get the poster from outside. So I said, <laughs> <laughs> I did. 
I asked first, but they said, yes, you can have the poster. And I still have the poster downstairs. And I have a big poster of me going to doing Carnegie Hall. The next time I did it, I did it in a double bill with Don Rickles. And then the next time I did it, I did it on a triple bill with Paula Poundstone and Mary Tyler Moore. And I got to meet one of my wow. idols, Mary Tyler Moore. That's wow. amazing. All right, Steph. Next fun fact here. In June 2000, Rita became one of the hottest tickets on the Las Vegas Strip as she headlined at the MGM Grand, New York, New York, Harris, and the Venetian. So, in your book, Rita, there's a story about the time where they went to build a theater for you at the New York, New York Casino. Mm -hmm. Can you share that with Steph? Because I thought that was hysterically funny. Well, the um, vice president of the MGM became president of New York, New York, and said, I want to build you a theater because you've been a big hit at the MGM and I want a big hit in New York, New York. So Martin and I, we drove to New York, New York, the a hotel, and we looked around for a space to build a theater that we all approved. And we found this one space that was fantastic, except there's a roller coaster upstairs. And every three minutes, a roller coaster would zoom and the vibrations would go through the theater and it felt like you were experiencing an earthquake. And Felix, who was then the uh, president of New York, New York, said, it's okay, you just make a joke about it. And I said, every three minutes? I can't right. For an hour and a half? I can't make a joke about it. So he said, okay, you know what? I'm going to figure out a way to make the theater start stop vibrating. And he went through so many different trials and tribulations. He got special ball bearings from Japan to make it smoother and that didn't work. They put it like five miles an hour slower to see if that would work when it was going on. Nothing worked until they figured out that the pillars that were vibrating were empty. And that's why they they went from the, the top to the bottom of the theater and they filled the bottom to the top of the pillars with sand to absorb the vibrations and the sound of the roller coaster, which I think it cost a million dollars or something. Yeah. And Felix was just beside himself and he looked at me and he said, I wish I'd never had this idea. And I said, well, you're in it and there's no way out of it to quote Johnny Carson. And uh, it worked. And then he was okay because I was, I sold out, I think five or six years there and it was a big wow. successful one. But again, it wasn't easy, but perseverance. Miss Rita, how crazy is it for you when these places are selling out and it's night after night and then month after month and year after year? Is that such a humbling thing for you? Do you get excited? What's your feelings it's on that? It's always trepidation. Is anybody else going to buy a ticket? In fact, I was friends with Siegfried and Roy when they were there in Las Vegas and they were a very funny pair because Siegfried was very pessimistic and paranoid and um, Roy was just a happy-go-lucky thing. And we were having breakfast with them at four o'clock in the afternoon because that's when they woke up. And <laughs> then Siegfried says, every night, I think nobody is going to buy a ticket tonight. And Roy would say, oh, stop it, you silly woman. Everybody's going to come see us. Just stop it. Don't say anything like that. You know, so they were just, they had like an act they did all the time. But it's always scary to think, you know, you want people to buy a ticket. You want people to have a good time. And the relaxation and the in, the enjoyment comes while you're doing the show. And the fact that everybody is, you know, I always want people to have the best time that they could possibly have at that particular moment in life. And that's really important to me. 
So when you had your show in Vegas, how many shows would you do a week then? Five or six, six shows a week for a very long time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a lot. Yeah. All right, Steph, next fun oh, fact. Martin just told me because he counts 370 shows a year. Oh, really? Yes. Right. You're literally working Or every multiple day. times a night. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a great job. Who doesn't want to go to work at seven o'clock and be home by 10 and everybody laughs and has a good time and you get paid as a bonus? That's a great point. That is true. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about it. Forget about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. All right, Steph. Over the course of a multi-year run in Vegas, she sold almost 2 million tickets, grossed over $100 million, became the longest-running solo female comedy show in the history of Las Vegas. Wow. History of Las Vegas. So when you're performing in Vegas, what kinds of things do you have to do, Rita, to promote it? Anything crazy in Vegas? Because there are so many billboards. There's so many things going on that try to get People's tourist attention. attention. Yeah. So how does that work? I have a very clever husband who helps me think of things that I could never think of. And what happened at the beginning, which I think was a big plus to my success there, was Martin was working with the publicity department at the MGM to try to figure out an image that would work on a billboard because you have to have a billboard or a couple of them, you know, so people know who's on and what's happening. And you have to you have to be a member of the party to get into the party. Right. There I was, and I had had a photo shoot. He was going over old photos, and I'm very limber. I used to be more limber than I am now, but I was an ex-dancer, and I can do straddle splits and split and things like that. And Martin found a picture where I was just kind of goofing around in a photography section, and I had my legs out like this and was like that with my legs out. And he said, oh, that's a good image for a billboard. And he and the uh, publicity department at the MGM said, oh, that's a good idea. And it was this image that became ingrained in everybody's minds about me doing the splits (laughs) on this billboard, these billboards around Las Vegas. And I think that was contributed to my notoriety and success there was the imagery that they created. Without the imagery, I think it would be much harder for me to have established myself. Oh, yeah. Martin just said, because there's a funny story about, because, you know, when I take Molly to school in the morning, I was just me. And I had this big advertisement at the airport because those were the best billboards to get when people, the tourists got off the plane. And one of Molly's little friends in school said, I know what your mommy does for a living. And Molly said, really? What does she do? And the little boy said, she works at the airport. (laughs) (laughs) so that's in the mind of a little kid and i and i'm always just me when i you know and i was picking up molly from school at the end of the year and i'm known as rita bergman which is my married name and molly bergman is my daughter and i was picking uh, molly up and standing with tabitha's father because he was picking up tabitha and they were best friends and they would uh, always play together in school and Tabitha's dad looked over at me and said, I just found out Rita Rudner's daughter goes to this school. 
I said, really, she does? I, I, how nice. Said, so I hope I meet her sometime. <laughs> I didn't want to tell him he was wrong, but I just see people don't recognize me. <laughs> I guess not. That's funny. That is very funny. I wish you could have been there when he found out that was actually you. I know. I don't know what. I didn't want to tell him. I don't want anyone to be embarrassed. <laughs> All right, Steph, final fun fact here. Rita is a best-selling author, having written six books. Her most recent book is an autobiography that just came out in October titled My Life in Dog Years, which she's referenced a couple times here. Rita, can you tell us more about this book? Because some of the stories I read through there were fantastic, and it's the next best thing of seeing you in person at a, at a show. I started writing this book before COVID because, you know, I'm not getting any younger, and a lot of my comedy friends, you know, have passed away recently. And I said, you know, I always, I just want to write it. I don't care. I don't care if anyone wants to read. I just want to write it. And then COVID hit. And I said, well, I guess I'm really going to write it now because I'm home for two years. So I wanted to figure out a different way to tell a story rather than this, 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 and this. And I I attached every 15 years to one of my dogs because I always love my dogs and my dogs are such important parts of my life. And I have a new dog. I don't know where she is now. I just gave her a bath this morning. She was at the dog park this morning and got very dirty. But I just decided that that was a better way or not a better way, but it was a, a more interesting way to write my autobiography, which is now not an autobiography. It's a memoir. And also I wanted there, I've made good choices in my life. I've made bad choices in my life and the good choices luckily have overcome the bad choices. So whatever advice I can impart to somebody when they say, if I want to be a comedian or I want to do this or I want to do that, I just include little things that I can say to myself because I've never been very confident and I've never been somebody who had very much going for them. I mean, I didn't really have a background. I didn't have a family. I didn't have I wasn't exceptionally pretty. I wasn't exceptionally outgoing. I wasn't exceptionally smart. I wasn't exceptionally anything. And I, I just to do the best with what you have is the best advice I can give to somebody. Well, I love the pictures that you had in the book, which were amazing. Can I ask you a story about a couple of those? Do you of mind? Course. No. So you had a picture with you and Betty White. Yeah. What was she like in real life? Just the best ever. You know, it's so nice to meet one of your idols and to find out they're just as nice and talented as you thought they were. So Mary Tyler Moore was the same way. And Martin and I wrote a movie called A Weekend in the Country that was a TV movie on USA Network. And we I had a scene with Betty White. And that was really such a pleasure. But she was always every moment she decided something she would do. There was never a dull moment with her on the plane. (laughs) And I loved working with her. I bet. What about Bob Hope? Well, I meet when I met these people, it was at the end of their careers. And however they were before I met them, I'm unaware of. Okay. But I did Bob Hope's last two TV specials. And he was very sweet to me. He wasn't very well. Oh. And um, he was kind of dependent on me a lot. And I would whisper his lines to him. And I wrote him a joke, which my first essay book coming out, which was called Naked Beneath My Clothes. And he said, I don't know what to say about this book. What can you tell me? And I wrote him a joke. And I said, Bob, um, I'm going to say I have a book called Naked Beneath My Clothes. And I said, and you say, I'm not naked beneath my clothes. Under my clothes, I have a layer of money. And he said, that's really funny. And he said it. And I said, can't believe I wrote a joke for Bob Hope. 
That's, That's awesome. That's really good. Okay, then final one that I thought was really cool. George Burns. Well, I've met him a few times. And okay. what was interesting about George Burns was it was his 90th birthday party. Okay. And we were um, doing tributes to him. And I saw him and he was like in the wings in a wheelchair. And I said, how is this going to work? Because we're all doing this tribute and he's going to come out on stage. And sure enough, when they announced George Burns, he got up and he was 20 years younger than oh. when he was just sitting in that chair. He loved what he was doing so much. And he you know, held it together and then walked off stage and then got back in the chair. So you could just tell he really loved what he was doing. Miss Rita, when was your pinch me moment? Because I've had so many pinch me moments just listening to you talk this whole time from where you started off to these people you've met to selling out in Vegas. When was your pinch me moment? Well, I was invited. Martin and I were invited. We used to go to a lot of movie openings when we lived in Hollywood. And we got invited to the opening of That's Entertainment 3 or or something, one of those That's Entertainment movies with all the old movie stars dancing and everything. Okay. Another woman came up to me and was pushed by a nurse in a wheelchair and said, I just want you to know you're my favorite comedian. And I said, thank you. And what's your name? And she said, Ginger Rogers. And I I couldn't believe that I met Ginger Rogers because she's one of my all-time idols. I still watch Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies every Christmas. Oh, oh, my goodness. That's special. Well, Rita, I know how we can be our own worst critics, right? And and you just rattled off a few minutes ago just the things that you're not. But let me tell you, I'm so impressed by your perseverance mm. of switching to comedy when you didn't think you're funny, you didn't talk, but you literally mm. would just go to the museum, you'd go to the library, and you would listen to comedians, and you figured it out. Mm. Just your perseverance and being able to do it as a female back in the 80s when there was such, there was not a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. at well, all. Well, even that guy on with Johnny Carson that would block you, but you just kept persevering. Like there's so well, many life you know, lessons. I, I have to correct you on that because I gave up. I gave up ever being on The Tonight Show. I said, there's no point. Bonnie Raitt, you can't make someone love you if they don't. <laughs> I said, as long as this guy is there. I'm just not going to be on The Tonight Show. And it wasn't me. It was Alex Friedman who turned that whole thing around. Mm. But still, we're very (laughs) impressed, Arita, okay? That's what I want to get to. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Well, listeners, for more information about Rita, you can go to her website, www.ritarudner.com. Also, you can get her new book titled My Life and Dog Years on her website or at amazon.com. Well, Rita, thank you. Betsy, my doggie just came in because she wants a drink of water. Betsy, come here. Say hello to the people. Oh, come here. Come here. Oh. Oh. That looked like your dog. What kind of dog? That's not a Bichon, is it? No, she's a little guess what dog. She's a little rescue from the streets. And I think she looks like a combination poodle and terrier. And I call her a Perrier. Oh, she's so sweet. <laughs> but she smells good. I bet she does. Oh, she smells really good. <laughs> well, Rita, thank you so very much for spending time with us and telling us some amazing stories. We're fascinated by it. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for, for all of your very excellent facts and questions. Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. You guys, it's completely free. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating or a nice review. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.